I want to get this morning by getting you to consider a question, the question that was just asked in this video. Is the gospel really good news? Is it true? Is it even reliable? Or as the video we just watched suggested, maybe it's not so good. Maybe we've missed the point. Maybe we should just adjust it a little. Can we get rid of the bits that our upbringing, our background, and our culture make us feel kind of uncomfortable with? Can we get rid of hell? Is Jesus the only way? Do we really need to be rescued? Is the Bible wrong? Maybe just misunderstood. Maybe we need to find the meaning behind the words. And we need to understand that whether or not we choose to admit it, this question is being asked in churches all over this province, all over this country, and even some of you in this room have asked this question. But I want you guys to know today, unequivocally, that these are all lies from the pit of hell. The Bible unapologetically declares that the gospel of Christ is good news. It's good news. It is the good news. And though we were separated from our creator by sin, and we stand rightly condemned, facing eternal punishment, God sent his son to die in our place. And if we believe in Jesus... His right standing before God is imputed, is placed upon us, and our sin is placed upon him. The word of God declares that this is the only, the only way to be saved. And this is what the letter to the Galatians is all about. There is no other gospel, no other good news, no other way to be saved. If you remember nothing else of what I say today, remember this. There is no other way to be saved. There is no other gospel. If you remember back to September, for those of you who are here, when we began this journey through Galatians, we saw the joy of the gospel, the joy of that good news. Grace and peace, the complete unmerited, undeserved favor of God on a sinful people, us, deserving of eternal wrath that brings completeness, fellowship with God. We're rescued. We're made right with God. We also saw that the gospel is exclusive. Paul declares that he is astonished that you, he's talking to the Galatians, are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. You see, some people from outside the Galatian churches had come in and they had said to them, well, you know, Paul's gospel is good. It's, it's good. He's got the basics right, but you need a little bit extra on the side. And this is why Paul wants to remind believers of how wonderful and how awesome the gospel that they accepted was and where it comes from. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to add anything to it or take anything away from it is to reject it. And then finally, we saw the consequences of distorting the gospel. If the gospel of Christ is the only way to be saved, and to reject it is to reject God, then of course the consequences are to be under the judgment of God. And I love the way God works these things because this sermon today flows out of a very similar theme to Steve's sermon last week. If you remember, Steve preached on John chapter 5, and we saw the beginning of Jesus' defense of his divinity and his mission. And he declared that he was equal with God. Jesus said, I am equal with God. 
And today we're gonna look at the beginning of Paul's argument for there being no other gospel. So we've gotten past the introduction and now we're going to his, he's beginning his opening arguments for there being no other gospel but the gospel of Christ. If you remember, Steve called us in the application to embrace and believe who Jesus is. Embrace who he is. This involves us recognizing the truth of what he says about himself and that he has the authority to make these statements. The authority to make these statements. Last week we saw Jesus on trial. This week it's the good news of the gospel that's on trial. And so we look at the arguments for why there's no other gospel with step one which is laying out the historical facts. If you've ever kind of watched those, the court cases, you know on CBC how they have the, the live text update of the various court cases and the, the step one is laying out the facts of what happened. Laying out the facts, they're laying out the evidence and so Paul wants to lay out the evidence for us today. And if you could probably consider this part, of, part one of a two-part sermon, because I'm preaching again December 31st after we're done all our Christmas stuff and it's gonna deal with part two of this. So the first week today, we're going to be dealing with the history of how Paul received the gospel, how it was affirmed by the church, and then in December, we'll see how the opposition against him arose. So if you turn with me to Galatians chapter one, but before we read God's word this morning, I would like to pray for us. Let's pray. Father God, open our eyes to your word that we might see it. Open our hearts to receive it. Open our minds to understand it. Lord, give us the humility to obey. Lord, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth today would not be mine, they'd be yours. Lord, I pray that your gospel, your good news would go forth today. I pray, Lord, that we would see the glory and the awesomeness that is the good news. That anyone who looks on the name of Jesus can be saved. Pray all these things in your name. Amen. So turn with me to Galatians chapter 1. And we're going to start reading in verse 11, and I think it's going to be up on the screen there for us too. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not go immediately and consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia." and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. When I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia 
and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ, they, were, they only he were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. And may God add this blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Verses 11 and 12, so the first two verses that we're looking at today, lay out the thesis for the next two sermons. Paul's main point, the gospel is not Paul's good news. It's not something he's made up or it has been corrupted. It's from Christ. The gospel is from Christ. It's not of human origin. It was received from Christ. And this is a fundamental thing that we need to grapple with. Is the gospel reliable? Is it from God or was it just made up by a bunch of dudes 2,000 years ago? And if it was made up or at least, you know, not reliably transmitted to us, maybe we have misunderstood it as Paul's opponents here are claiming he has. Maybe we need to get to the real gospel, not the false one that's been perpetuated by this flawed reading of the Bible. What if we just change a few of the implications, make a few modifications? We're not going to touch core issues. Let's not touch core issues, such as, you know, Jesus died for us and he loves us, but maybe we shouldn't mention hell or that God calls us to be holy. Maybe if we focused more on love, then more people would come to church. And there are huge pressures on the church today to change the content of the gospel to make it more palatable. There are huge pressures on you from your friends, from your family, from your coworkers, and you know what I'm talking about. The idea there's, there, there's this truth, the idea that there is truth in the gospel, but it needs to be kind of adjusted for our modern culture. And there's entire branches of evangelicalism that have come up with this idea and they've adjusted the gospel to make it easier for people to hear. And this is what Paul's opponents are doing. More subtly than saying, you know, Paul's wrong, he made it all up, we're just going to, you know, throw Paul out. They're saying Paul was taught by people. He is a disciple. He is, a, he is not the primary source. He is, a, he is a, a secondary source. And he just misunderstood what he heard. He didn't hear it right. He wasn't a good student. We need to change Paul's gospel back to the real one because he got it wrong. You know, Paul is right. Jesus did die for our sins. But this faith thing, he's just a little bit confused. He didn't really get the message. And what you really need is a little bit of Jewish law sprinkled on top of Jesus on the cross. That's what will save you. Brothers and sisters, may we never, never do this. Why? Why? Because the gospel is not our gospel. It's not Paul's gospel. It's the gospel of who's Jesus Christ. God in the flesh who came down and paid the price so that we might be free. So we might be free. And that is why Paul says the Galatians are rejecting the gospel because sometimes what we say and what is inside our hearts don't really match up. Sometimes what we think about the implications of something, about the implications of the gospel, betray what we really think about the gospel itself. You see, one of the reasons that the good news is so good is because the bad news is really, really bad. And Paul's opponents, and both the author of the and also the author of the video that we that we watched this morning, in a funny way, are actually very similar. There's a subtle adjustment of the gospel which has dramatic implications. They want the bad news of our condition to be not so bad. 
In the video's case, there's a suggestion that, you know, God won't punish anyone. That wouldn't be loving. Everyone will go to heaven and be with God. And Paul's opponents are saying, well, there are these rituals that we have which will help you to ensure your salvation. Circumcision is necessary to please God. But the implication of this is that our human effort matters in some sort of cosmic sense. That what we do will enable us to be in right standing before God. That we can somehow escape from the depths of our sin by our own effort. And Paul says, no. To believe this is to reject the gospel of Christ. Why? Because it was received from Christ. You can't go changing it. Which brings us to the second point, because having laid out his thesis, Paul now wants to embark on a description of the facts, what's actually happened, how he received the gospel, who said what, where, when, how, why. And this feels a little bit like a court case where Paul is laying the evidence before us. This is what happened. Judge for yourselves. And if you were to skip ahead to verse 20, where he gives the oath as to the truth of what he's saying, it actually carries legal connotations. You might hear someone say this in a court of law at the time. The, the, the phrasing and the way that he describes this is, is, a, is, a, is a public oath, of a, an assertion that what he's saying is true. And so there's this feeling here that Paul is on trial and he's attempting to acquit himself of the malicious intent or the very least negligence that he's been accused of. And to do this, he lays out how he is first independent of the apostles. Now, I want you to note here, uh, just quickly, that Paul is not suggesting that his gospel is different than that of the other apostles, only that it was received independently. Paul is claiming the authority of an apostle, but he places himself apart from and independent of the other apostles in Jerusalem. If you look at verse 13, it says, For you have heard about my former life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. And I was, I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. I did not go up to Jerusalem, to those who had become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and back to Damascus. So if you're paying attention early in your service, you would have noticed we read the passage from Acts, which tells about Paul's conversion, which Jennifer read for us. And this first kind of two verses is, is all, that's, that's all referencing what Jennifer was talking about there. That story from Acts of Paul's conversion, how he's on the road to Damascus and the bright light came and Ananias and then Paul has to run away from Damascus because all the Jews want to kill him. And the point here is, Paul is telling us, not only did Jesus kind of open his eyes to see him, to be transformed, to be saved, that he was this Messiah, the Son of God, he also opened his eyes to the fullness of the good news of the gospel. And in other words, Paul received a special revelation independent of the apostles. And this is why Paul claims his apostleship. He's claiming this authority, and he wants to make clear he did not go immediately back to Jerusalem. He was converted, but did not go to sit at the apostles' feet. Because the standard process you would expect, and what his opponents were saying happened, is that, you know, you get converted, and then you go find the people who know more about Jesus, and you sit down with them, and you get taught by them for a while. And then you go 
preach the gospel. But this is not what Paul did. He's already preaching the gospel with authority. And he's going out and doing this. And he does go to Jerusalem in the end. He does go, but not until three years have passed. Three years have passed. And we see this in verse 18, when he says, After three years I did go to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas and stay with him 15 days. But I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Notice he says he, does, he, he goes to get to know Cephas. Cephas being Peter, so most of you know him as Peter, one of the twelve the doubting Peter, uh, Peter who gives the sermon on Pentecost and lots of people uh, turn to Christ, the leader of the early church. So Paul goes to get to know Peter, not to be taught by him. He goes as an equal. And he meets with Peter for 15 days. Which, as a side note, just imagine for a sense, second, how intense that conversation must have been. I mean, wouldn't you have loved to have been a fly on the wall as Peter and Paul meet for the first time? I mean, this is a guy who is imprisoned and killed a whole bunch of your friends. And now he comes along and says, I'm an apostle too. And I've been called to preach to the Gentiles. Now let's talk about this. I mean, th that must have been a pretty, pretty, pretty good conversation. And I've no doubt that Paul learned things from these meetings. Paul learned many things. Um, and that Peter was able to impart facts about the life and death of Jesus that Paul might not have previously known. But that's not the same as receiving the gospel from him. And the outcome of this meeting is that Paul is affirmed and he proceeds to go out and preach the gospel in Syria and Cilicia. So why is this all important? We need to understand that as in the practice of humans, Paul was being slandered by his critics. In his commentary on the Galatians, Richard Longnecker observes that the opposition to Paul among Jewish Christians was often bitter and intense. And there's this Jewish author, probably lived somewhere in the middle of the second century, so kind of in the, in the late early church, um, who says, Paul was a man of Tarsus, indeed a Helen, the son of a Hellenistic mother and a Hellenistic father. Note, this is a really bad thing if you're a Jew. This means they're saying he's a Gentile, I, he's less, he's unimportant, he's this half-breed that somehow kind of managed to squirk, squee, squirm his way into the system. So having gone up to Jerusalem and having rem remained there a long time, he desired to marry the daughter of the high priest and on that account submitted himself as a proselyte for circumcision. When, however, he did not obtain the girl, he became furious and began to write against circumcision, the Sabbath, and the law. So basically they're saying, Paul tried to marry this girl. The girl's father said, well, you're not, you know, pure enough a Jew, and so Paul's like, fine, I hate the Jewish law, we're going to get rid of it all. This is the sort of stories that were, gonna, that were being perpetuated about him. And so Paul has to defend himself, because his authority, the gospel of Christ, the gospel that he's preaching, to some degree depends upon his authority as an apostle. And so he has to defend himself in his record to defend the gospel of Christ. The forces that lead him to preach the gospel are not the product of human teachings, misunderstandings, or events, but rather the sovereign will of Christ. He's not subordinate to the other apostles, as his critics are claiming. His message was received independently. And the fact that no one stood up and denounced him when he went to Jerusalem implies that they actually approved of him. Like there's no big story, there's no big kind of convention that came out and said, Paul is a sinner, he's wrong, we're going to put him in his place. No. Fifteen days is not a long enough time 
to for Peter to turn Paul into his disciple, but it's certainly enough time for Peter to get to know him intimately and to evaluate him. And so finally for today, we have that Paul's gospel is affirmed by the church. Having established that he's independent of the other apostles, but also implicitly affirmed by them, Paul wants to emphasize that his message is not different, that it was affirmed by the early church at large. Afterwards, verse 21, Afterwards, I went up into the regions of Syria and Sicilia and remained personally unknown to the Judean churches that are in Christ. They simply kept hearing, He who formerly persecuted us is now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. I mean, he goes and preaches the gospel, and the Jewish Christians, because the churches in Judea would have been predominantly Jewish, have given thanks to God for him. This is a matter of public record. Paul is asking, where was all this opposition? Back then when I first started preaching the gospel. Rather than opposition, I was affirmed. The church gave thanks to God for what he was doing in me. So where was the problem then? His gospel has borne fruit and was affirmed by the very people his opponents say he is in opposition to. You see, the reason for this is Paul's gospel was not of human origin. It's not something he made up. It was received from Christ, was independent of, yet affirmed by the apostles, and then also affirmed by the church at large. So the question is then, if the gospel is not of human origin, if it comes from Christ, then how should we respond? How should we respond to the fact, to this gospel? And I, I have two challenges for us today here to consider. And the first is that we should have confidence in the gospel. We should have confidence in the gospel. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel didn't come from people. Some guys didn't just make it up. It came from God. It's reliable. It's trustworthy. And that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. Why? Because it means it's really good news. It's really good news. The gospel is true. It didn't come to existence because someone had some sort of hallucinogenic episode where they spazzed out and they decided to create a religion. It's not been twisted. We have not somehow missed the point. You really can come to God. You can come to God and be saved. Rest in that. Rest in the good news of the gospel. Be comforted by that. Jesus paid the price so that you don't have to. Be encouraged because no matter how much you fail, no matter how much you mess up, no matter how screwed up you are, Jesus' sacrifice is more than enough to cover that. As the Jeep Fernando put it once, you cannot outsin the grace of God. You cannot outsin it. I don't care what you've done or who you've been or where you've gone. You cannot outsin the grace of God. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. See, God has freely lavished his grace upon you. Grace being a gift that we didn't deserve. 
God has freely lavished a gift that we did not deserve upon us. And there's nothing that I can do or you can do to ever merit it. So you don't need to beat yourself up about trying. You can't make yourself worthy, so don't try. You never will be. Rest, rest in the gospel. Be secure in it. Let the hope that, that, that it is, that, that the gospel is, be your rock. Because friends will fail you. Your friends are going to fail you. And your achievements, no matter how good they are, are going to come tumbling down someday. Money can dry up, but the gospel never fails. The good news never fails. Jesus will never abandon you. I think of the video we saw at the very beginning. I know many people are not paying attention at that point because we're trying to get to our seats. But you know, the, in the video, it talks about where Paul's famous quote, where I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor blessings nor curses, I got it in the wrong order, um, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of Christ that is in God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Have confidence in the gospel. And secondly, we need to submit to the gospel. Because if the gospel is that good, if it's that big, if it's something, not something someone made up, if it's from God, the creator of the universe, if it is true, then it demands a response. We don't have the option to kind of sit on the sidelines, take a step back, and treat it like a buffet, where we can help ourselves to the parts of the gospel that we like. We don't have that option. Sometimes I think we misunderstand what secondary issue are. Secondary issues, sorry, are. Timothy George's, Timothy George, rather, sorry, um, notes in his commentary on the Galatians that despite his reputation, his being Paul, for making overweening pronouncements, Paul could on occasion speak with great tentativeness and hesitation. For example, concerning the status of virgins in, at Corinth, Paul frankly confesses, I have no command from the Lord. So Paul, you know, we often think of Paul as being this headstrong dude who was like, who's got a very strong opinion on everything, right? And, but he actually at times, if it wasn't from God, if it was just his opinion, he would take a step back and say, you know, I have no command from the Lord. But here in Galatians, Paul was not dealing with a matter of secondary importance. He was defending the very heart of the Christian faith against a sinister and subversive attack upon it. The gospel is more than just Jesus loves me. It's more than Jesus loves you. It's more than just Jesus died. There are implications for how we live and what is and what is not required of us. It encompasses who God is, who we are, and what it really means to follow him. Rituals and traditions which we make for finding favor with God, no matter if they are circumcision or any other practice that we hold too dear, they undermine the gospel. Saying the gospel doesn't require me to change, taking out the bits we don't like, such as the call to pursue holiness, judgment, or hell, they undermine the gospel. You see, the gospel brings hope to all who turn to it, but it also condemns those who reject it. This means that there is over 200,000 people within 50 or 100 kilometers of us here today who if Jesus came back today would go straight to hell. Do we even care? Does that matter to us? This should break our hearts. This should compel us to act 
to proclaim it. But how often, how often are we just embarrassed? Our faith is just a little bit inconvenient. And I need to preach this to myself more than I even need to preach it to you guys. But let us not be people who pay lip service to the gospel who think that we don't have to live out its implications, who think that we can sit in a Christian bubble and not do anything about it. Be transformed. Let the word of God permeate every crevice, crevice of your lives. We don't have the option to ignore the word of God. Understand the good news. Know it, study it, chase after it. Learn what it means for your life. Then call out on the name of the Lord and submit to it. And trust him to work out the rest. Let's pray. Father God, there is no other gospel. There is no other good news. And I thank you, Lord, that though we were broken, though we were lost, though we were dead in our sins, you made a way. I thank you through your grace, the gift that we did not deserve, the gift of your son, you took away our sin. And there's nothing that we can do and nothing that we have to do, Lord, save follow you, put our hope in the finished work of your son. Father God, I just pray for us here today that we would not pay lip service to the gospel, that, that would be our, it would be our rock, it would be our hope, it would be the center of our lives, and I pray that we would follow it, that we would proclaim it, that we would go out and we would tell people that our hearts would break for the people around us who are walking in darkness. I pray that we would submit to your word in every part, that our desire would be to follow you all the days of our lives. Father God, may your gospel go forth. May you write into our hearts the good news of the gospel and impress upon us how it is the only way and that we would put our full and entire hope in it. I pray all these things in your name, the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ.